What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Get in the Cash Flow Game with K and K. And again, yes, it's only K, one K. The other K left me for a meeting, so I had to do this on my own. But we will not stop there. I had Quentin DeSalles on. Hopefully, Quentin, I did not screw up your name. Um, he is from Canada, Canadian. And actually, really, really cool episode. Um, gosh, we went through a lot of different stuff. Really cool guy. What I loved about it, he was a teacher 20 years. Um, just like a lot of people. I think you get to a point in your life, I've been teaching 20 years, not making enough money. He was trying different side hustles and um, had young kids. And you're just, you know, look, teachers, let's be honest, I'm here in San Diego. If you're on a teacher salary and you're only on work and your wife's not, it's just not going to be enough money. And so you're going to create that side hustle. He was trying, like, I think making websites and doing stocks and he ended up buying a house and making money. And ultimately, uh, today owns $80 million of real estate with investors and uh, financial freedom, time freedom, freedoms, all freedoms. And... Um, we're talking about how like they invested like $5,000 into like this first deal and how that was such uh, the amount of money at that time was so much. And they're like, oh my gosh, can we risk this? Now he looks back going, oh my gosh, how do I even think like that? But we talked about mindset, um, how to get through. Like he talked about the struggling in the beginning of um, being a teacher and building a real estate portfolio and how much work it was for two, three years, but he was just talking about if you can get through that, it can that that is the part to get through that, it can change your life. So we talked about that. He's wrote, written several books, property management, like building wealth, buying real estate. Um, you gotta check those out. And then we just talked about, you know, macroeconomics, we talked about real estate, we talked about loans, what he buys. Um, and then off camera, which is funny if he listens to this, hopefully he laughs. He was uh, grilling me on me stepping it up and what I'm doing and some stuff I'm working on that, no, you're not going to find out. It's a secret. But why am I doing this? So it's off camera. But uh, it was cool. So cool guy. Awesome. Loved having him on. Uh, my, my couple takeaways were, is always, is get in the game. My other takeaways were, is, you know, Getting through that first two or three years when you have your job and you have the side that's real estate and you just want to make enough to get out and retire and do it full time. He is living proof you can do it. He went through it. You know, if you ever have questions about and you are stuck in that after you watch this, just reach out to him. He gave his Instagram handle, you know, DM him. If you guys aren't doing that and we have people on and they inspire you, encourage you, DM them, um, send them an email, call them. Like, these people are coming on. They love to help people. He was a teacher. So what fascinated me is he brought teaching. He's a great teacher. Obviously, he can write books. So he went out and built a real estate portfolio, became financial free, and now he can educate people and teach you. So that's a passion. He loves to do that. And he also talked about he loves buying deals. And so um, without further ado, you have enough of me blabbing. Let's hear more from Quentin. Let's jump right into it. Quentin, thanks for coming on today. Welcome to getting the cash flow game. Thanks for your time. Look forward to jumping in the conversation with you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet. So before we start jumping into our passion and talking a lot about real estate, can you kind of give us a little bit of background of who you are and how you got into real estate and where you're at today? 
Yeah, um, I mean, I just give you like the kind of like the headlines. I, I started investing in 2004. I was um, I was a teacher for 20 years. I left wow. teaching when I turned 40. I have a, a master's in ed. I was going to be a school administrator. Um, and I uh, had started building a portfolio, like I said, 2004. I started to scale in 2008. Um, I bought uh, three, four properties each year, 2008, 2009. And then in about 2013, I created enough uh, passive income in my portfolio to leave my job. And so in 2014, I became a full-time investor, um, started to flip houses, uh, realized that I was doing what I was doing before, which was a job <laughs> when I was flipping houses. And, you know, I did some wholesaling, rent to own, things like that. And, you know, it, it just, um, I, I kind of switched in 2015 into apartment buildings and uh, started to scale up that way. I still continued to do one to four unit properties, but it was um, the apartment buildings that really gave me the ability to create uh, wealth and, um, large net worth jumps as opposed to the one to four unit properties. And, you know, right now we're at 80 million in assets under management. I own uh, 50% of any asset that I own or that that's part of that. I own 50% or more of, nice. um, and you know, I, I really like talking about real estate uh, and I enjoy talking about wealth and, and just helping people to kind of see, you know, how they can kind of use real estate in their overall plans. And, and it, it's, I, I think that everybody should have it as part of their, you know, their wealth journey, right. Have that, um, that component. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things I want to ask you about that because I now, um, the teacher, obviously that's probably why you're big on educating, helping people, which is cool. So I think sometimes you're like, man, why did I do that? But I think that got you a basis to not even buy, but to teach people. So how does a teacher, how did you discover real estate? I mean, there's so many teachers that are like, I need to get out of this rat race, but they don't, they're looking for the side hustle or something. How did you land in real estate? I tried a whole bunch of things like I was doing stocks and stuff. I created websites. I would, I did consulting. Like I always did a bunch of different things. I never just did one thing. And I, I would say I kind of lucked into real estate. My first property in 2004, it was just like a pre-construction house. Didn't do anything with it, sold it. And I was like, wow, this was really good. I didn't even, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even like, live in it and i already made money so it's kind of like okay this is this is great so um 2008 i uh, i started to really scale and buy rental properties and and take uh you know um do that on top of what i was already doing and i realized quickly that i had a choice you know i could continue uh, building a portfolio or i could continue down the path of like employment and I decided to switch and, and focus on, on uh, real estate. Was it, is it scary at the time? I mean, depending on where you're at in life is if you have family, you have kids, you have bills and you're giving up that obviously a teacher pretty guaranteed W2 check where you like, okay, I just show up to work, probably don't do anything stupid. I'll get fired and eventually keep get, making more money to, okay, I'm going to give that up and go over to this basically a wild, wild west of, buying real estate and building a portfolio. 
Yeah, my kids were really small at the time too. So they were like five and two. And my wow. wife was really supportive of me. And honestly, I would have to say that between 2008 and 2013, I, I would say that I, I felt like I had like three jobs. Like I was, uh, I had my normal employment. I was like a young father who spent as much time as I could with my kids. And then I was working on my real estate business. And I really felt like I was, it was, it was a lot of work. I, I, I gotta say for those, for a few years there, what I felt like I was really running all over the place, but I, I was able to work through that. And, you know, now I have a lot more freedom than I would have ever had before. And it was the, you know, just kind of pushing through that, the initial, um, craziness and with everything going on to be able to get to the point where I, I gave myself flexibility. Um, and I learned a lot over the, those years, you know, I've, I've written some books too about it, like about the whole process. And, you know, I, and I think, um, you know, if you can get through that, the challenges that there's so much light on the other side, that it's really worthwhile like for everybody. <laughs> Couple questions. That's great. Yeah, it's, this is great because I think a lot of people um, don't like their job. They don't like their boss, and I don't really think that. I just think they want more freedom, you know. And as a teacher, if you just stay in a teacher and you're going to get a pension, it's not really building wealth. Um, and you know, who knows where the pension will be, especially in a place like you know U.S. or California, they're having problems. So you really want to create your own destiny. Um, I was going to ask you when you started buying properties. And I know now you're further along. Were you going to friends and family to raise money? Were you doing it all on your own? And how did you kind of get started with like, I know you bought one, but to get from here to there where you're like, I can quit my job and I have enough income. Was that all your money or was it investor money? Well, I, I mean, from the entire portfolio, I probably put like $5,000 of our own funds in. Um, most of the funds came from in investors or even from our principal residents from a, um, like a home equity component of it um, that helped us to generate it. At the very beginning though, like mortgage, like back in 2008, you could get like a hundred percent LTV on a rental property uh, or wow. 95% LTV on a rental property. Right. And then um, after and 2009, it was just kind of like, they got rid of it. <laughs> like it was like, yeah. a hard stop, <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh man, I got to figure out what I can do. So I talked to like mortgage brokers, my, my uh, lawyer, all that sort of stuff. And I had, um, I figured out that if I bought a property that needed work and I fixed it up, I could refinance it in a, a few few months and then continue to rent it. And I thought I had discovered this amazing thing. And then I look back and I was like, yeah, they've been doing this since the 70s. And then <laughs> and, and, and probably earlier than that. And and, and you know what? It was um, I, I wrote a book with a couple of friends of mine, uh, um, The Ultimate Wealth Strategy, buying, fixing, refinancing and renting properties. And then like a couple of years later, it was like rebranded. Like I started to hear it on like bigger pockets Burr, and stuff like that. As Burr. Like Burr. And, yeah. now, and now I get comments, you know, this strategy is called the Burr strategy. I was like, well, it wasn't that when I wrote the book. Okay. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so, but I mean, doing that strategy allowed us to take the equity out of the rental properties that we had put in 
And then in, at the same time, I was starting to bring on partners who was who were interested, and they were partners on the uh, on the long term side of those burr projects. So they were really happy about their returns, and then they started to get involved in other projects with me. I still have partners today that were part of those burr projects back in 2009 so it's it, you know it's and those those same partners are actually in some of my larger buildings so in a 30 unit building or a 40 unit building right like um it's been uh it's been a wild ride for sure and but um it's it's creating those relationships with people and making sure that you know you do what you say you're going to do and and have that you know no like and trust factor that that you know helps you to to raise funds and yeah most of that well i mean if, if I, you know what funny enough my wife still tells me about the five thousand dollars that we we, that we put into the, the property way back when but you know what like she's she's really appreciative of what's happened now and you know uh where we are but um it, it was it was such a funny thing at the time right it was such a it seemed like a big risk risk to us and uh and now like look at look at where we are so uh, i'm really happy i've got you know time freedom i've got location freedom you know i've got thought freedom nobody tells me you know what i need to do or how i need to do it right so those are all the the, the type of freedoms that i appreciate and of course financial freedom yeah that's that's awesome so i wanted to kind of go back to my other question was is you mentioned, I think this is a struggle for a lot of people is you're in the job and I deal with it every day because we do residential commercial financing. So we're getting, Hey, you got to go talk to Kenny about buying your first investment property. And a lot of it is a mindset shift. And I know, you know, that now you look back, you're like $5,000 was a big risk. Now you look back, you're like, cause it's like a, it's like, what, what do you mean? That was a risk. That was the smartest thing I could, I should have been 500,000, whatever. Right. And so what you were saying is if you could just get through that little time, right? That one year, the two year, the three year. And I think people, some of them are like, you know, you've got the kids, you got the wife, you got the job and you know, okay, but you're, and you started getting into it and you're like, this is a lot of work. This is going to be a lot of work. It could be one year, two or three years. What got you? Now you look back, what really was it that got you through it? And it, was there anything that you would have done differently sooner to maybe make it less painful or get you through it faster? You know, yeah, I, I used to think that like mindset was all like foo-foo and like airy kind of wacko kind of like people, <laughs> yeah. you know, people who wear flowers and run around. Like I, I didn't really think that that was for me. And now I totally am the opposite. I, I, I totally believe that if I would have had some shifts in mindset, like, and, and to, to just to give you an idea, like the last property that we, we bought was a 202 unit. And I had to, put, I had to put down um, 750K hard in order to make sure that that property closed. Like from $5,000 to seven, like it's a big deal right yeah and that's so, huge yeah and i mean i would never ask my partners if we didn't close on that to to put up the funds on for for the you know that property so it's a mindset shift right like that that is a huge mindset shift and if you and if you think about it like when i ask my kids and now they're you know 17 and 14 right um you know what what is a lot of money like my my 14 year old will say $50, right? And my, my, 
17 year old will say like $5,000. Right. And, and, you know, it, it really is just your mindset. Like it, when I, when I did that, that, you know, the last deal I did, you know, it was, uh, you know, $34 million deal. Right. Or wow. Like, that's like, you know, that's a big, that's a big deal. Right. But it, it's just another zero. That's all it is. Yeah. And, and you just have to figure out how to, how to, how to get that done. So from a mindset piece, like it, it is, it's all about mindset. If I was to say one thing that made a big difference is like expose yourself to other people who have that mindset, that growth mindset. And, you know, you'll be by association, you know, you'll be able to achieve different things than you would have done ever done by yourself. Right. Like that mastermind group you, you mentioned all the time, you know why? Because it's having an effect on your mindset. Right. And other people, it's not like they're not getting that exposure. So it, 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 it is a huge change. And if I were to do anything differently, I would have taken that more seriously than I actually did at the very beginning. It took me years to get into that, to that before I got to that. Right. Um, and um, I, I would suggest, you know, that people focus on their mindset and there are a lot of great books and training and, you know, on that. And then the other component is taking action, right? Like taking yeah. action quicker and sooner and not overthinking too many things, right? Find somebody else who's already doing it, copy them, like talk to them, you know, work with them and, uh, but, you know, copy the same type of strategy that they're using that's successful in the area that's, that you're in, right? Because in some areas, it doesn't make sense to do like regular single family house rentals in other places, it's like a no brainer. Right. So, um, yeah. or, or you have to do development or you have to do apartment buildings. So it just depends on the area. No, I agree. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And we were talking before you came on, we were both talking about mastermind groups and you mentioned you're part of a group where there's uh you know, 10, 10 people. I don't know if that's including you or 10 plus you, um, and, you know, I was going to mention that. I know we got into the podcast. But I was say, you know, I'm part of a mastermind and it's very, you know, it's not rare, but it's rare. You walk in a room, there's 50 people, 10 people. And you're like, I feel the dumbest, the smallest, the, uh, I'm talking about buying $34 million deals. This guy just talked about, it. he put $34 million down on the deal. Right. So, um, but that is another thing that people can do. I tell people is if you get around people that are like that, it can advance you very quickly because the conversations they're having are different. The things they're focusing on are different and they're not worried about the piddly little stuff. They're worried about moving the needle. So I was going to ask you is now that you're in a place in your life now that went from the teacher, took the risk, which was $5,000, probably tapped into an equity line, quit your job with two small kids which is crazy sacrifice. And now you're here now you're leveling up by getting around these people. What is it now in your life with just like the mental part, right? The mindset is what you're, what today you look back, what are you focusing on today now to get to the next level? Yeah. I, I mean, when you have financial freedom and, and you have like, there's only how many, I don't know. I'm not a big spender. Like I like, a tr I've got a truck. I like my truck. I don't, I'm not a, like, I'm not going to buy a, like a fancy car. I like to travel, you know, I like experiences with my family and my, like, you know, we just did whitewater rafting a couple of weeks back, like, you know, just things I like experiences. Right. And um, I think that once you've gotten to a certain level, it's your job to help bring other people up. 
right? Like, you know, give a hand down and help people up. It's always part of like your, what everybody should be able to do, right? Um, you know, for me, like giving back and helping out is like writing books and doing like doing, I'm still an educator. I never gave up being a teacher. Like I, I am still a teacher. I like it's part of my DNA. My, my, my mom was a teacher. Her mom was a teacher. Like, wow. Right. So, but you know, for me, I know that I can help people to, to get, to, to improve. And so that's why I, I write books and, you know, yeah, you know, get on podcasts like this and, and put, put content out because I want people to learn it and, and I want to help them uh, bring up, like bring them up too, right? It's our job to, to, to once we get to a point of success and, and financial freedom to help other people to do the same thing, right? And, um, and, you know, you, whatever gifts you, you have, you're given in the world, you need to make sure to use them and to share them with other people, right? I, um, my wife always asked me, so why are you still doing this? Like, <laughs> like, why do you still invest in, like, why are you still doing this? And I'm just like, well, and I know it sounds kind of corny, but I'm really good at it. Like, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at deals. I'm good at awesome. finding, like, I'm, I can find apartment buildings in my market and nobody else is finding them. And they're all, always ask, I had a broker, how did you get that deal? Right? Like, how did you get that cap rate? Because I'm not finding that. I'm like, well, it's re- relationships, right? It's all about all the, the things that I've been doing for the last 10 years that got me to this place. You're probably just starting out. Like you got some time to work on this stuff, right? So, um, so anyways, uh, you have to kind of figure out for yourself what what your you know truth north is at at a certain point, and um, and that's after you get to your financial freedom number, whatever you've defined that as. Right? That's awesome. So I wanted to now jump into the you know I'll, I'll phrase it as the educational piece, right? So, I mean, if somebody's watching this. And they want to take and they own the house, but they're like, that's what it is, is everybody wants to invest in real estate. And I go, look, you first always tell people, they go, what's the conversation with yourself you're having? I'm like, your conversation will change. Like the conversation you had is I need to get out of this job and I'm going to buy this first place. And you made some money to where you are now. You're like, man, if I could just flip a house a year and make a little extra cash, it would help. Now you're talking about, you know, buying $30 million deals. But um, I think for somebody getting started it is, is the conversation they're having with themselves, but it's like, what's the plan? Why am I buying real estate? But I feel like we're all buying real estate once we get to, at this point is to build wealth, right? To create cash flow, to make money, to maybe have financial freedom, freedom in life, whatever. So somebody that's coming to you that says, Quentin, I need to get out of the rat race. I don't know what to do. I've got some money. You know, my family has money. They're not going to do it. I got to do it. What, what do you recommend that first step is for somebody, you know, and somebody that might be in kind of your similar position that you were? You know, I, I would say to myself, go find people who are successful in your area. And there are a lot of meetup groups, a lot of places where you can find people who are already doing that. Um, in, in some places, it may be, you know, a duplex, it may be like a single family, it may be like a flip. But 
I, I also want to caution you that you're not create a job for yourself. Like what I ended up doing at the very beginning is I created another job for myself and which is fine if you need to create the cash to, to leverage yourself out of a job. But once you've done that, your job is to find assets that will continue to pay you while you don't, while you don't work, while you sleep. Right. And that's what the apartment buildings do for me. Like, I mean, our mortgage pay down is probably over a million a year. I mean, I don't have to like that's pay down. That's not appreciation. That's not cash flow. Wow. That's mortgage pay down. Right. Now I got to split that with all my partners. I don't certainly don't get I don't see that. Right. But I mean, I breathe and that happens. Right. Like, yeah, like I don't I don't. And and the thing is, if you tie whatever you do into your hands and your hours, then you're always going to be limited. Right. So that's why you want to, to, to get to that point where you get that freedom, then use leverage that freedom to create something that continues to pay you where you don't have to continue to. And we all talk about passive income, but most people who are investing in real estate aren't, they, they aren't creating passive income. They're creating a job and you've got to move past that and create a business. And that's harder than, than, what a lot of people think and once they can get to that point then you know then they start to jump into totally different directions they can do lots of different things and create lots of different businesses right so and, and i was going to ask you about that because that is really true is because i think people jump into real estate and they don't really they haven't done that's what i tell people there's really no excuse now you got youtube You've got podcasts, you've got books, you can literally go on and there's so many great interviews. There's, there's, there's masterminds, there's meetups, right? It's really up to you. You know, 30 years ago when you did this, there wasn't a lot of this stuff, right? I mean, even the debt, everything, it was a different game. And so, um, what, how do you, when somebody is going to buy real estate and not to make it a job and turn it to more in a business? I mean, I know, cause one of the things, you know, I was reading about you in here, you talked about that. And I think it's like getting yourself into the investor mindset because it is different is, can you give a couple like tactical, you know, examples or tricks of like, this is how to have a job. And this is how, like, what, what have you turned from the job to now it's, you know, more of a passive thing. Can you give a couple examples on that? Yeah, it's about looking at things at scale, right? And if you only can do something like once by yourself um, and you can't scale it in any way, then it's not really a business. You're, that means it's a job and you're going to be in it day to day. If you can do a thousand of the same thing, um, that's why if you think about like a, like a large apartment complex or like a many apartment units, right? You can do many of those all at once. And you can put a superintendent and on-site, or you could have a property management company, third party, or you could have your own property management company, you know, take care of that, right? Because it's at scale. Usually what you have to do is add a couple zeros onto whatever you initially thought, and that's how many you need in order to create a, a business. Because, um, and another way to look at it is perhaps, and syndication is a, a like a lot of people who are starting to think this way. Like if you look at a GP and an LP type of structure, the general partner is the business owner, but the but that is a business owner who's not going out and knocking on doors and like you know you know what I mean like yeah. not checking the tenant if the tenant paid the rent or or not right there. There's a lot of 
that's scale. That's, that's what you want to look for. And to get to that point, it, like um, the, the cash flow quadrant is a really good example. Yeah. Right? You look at employed, self-employed, right? Um, and a lot of people who are in real estate are self-employed. No matter what you call yourself a flipper, you call yourself a wholesaler, you call yourself whatever, lease to own, rent to own, whatever it is, um, or a realtor or a mortgage broker, you're t- typically there. What you need to do is take that income and shift it over into the next section so that you can be a business owner or an investor. It's okay. Like when I, when I'm uh, in, um, in Canada, I am the GP. Like I am the person who controls all the projects. Um, And, you know, I'm, I, I, we have close to 400 units, right? If I'm in the, in the U S I'm an LP. I'm on the investor side of the quadrant. I don't want to do that again. Like I have, uh, I have a few properties. I've got like four properties in Florida, but I'm an LP in a lot of the areas in the U.S. Because for me, it gives me um, like I have a number of reasons for it. You know, hedging against the Canadian dollar, Canadian economy in an asset class, I understand, but um, it, it also gets me into that investor side of the quadrant in an asset class I know and like, right? And so, and I can analyze and I can tell like um, if a GP is going to be a, <laughs> you know, going to be able to do yeah. what they say they're going to do and all that stuff. So that's like, those are a few examples for you uh, on, on taking it in different directions. The other thing I was going to ask you about is you have, I mean, there's a, there's a book on it. And then I think you talked about it too. in some of these notes here and which, you know, we know is, which, which, which book was that? Hold that up. The Action Takers Real Estate Investor Plan. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, go buy it. Yeah. Um, but you got to get a lot of good books here. And I think it's cool because it's coming from, you're a teacher. That's your, that's your, you probably are really good at writing, explaining and teaching. So your books are probably from that point of view, rather than maybe somebody that's like, I was born and raised as a real estate, you're into that whole thing. You have teacher first. I've learned this. Now let me teach you back. Um, one of the things I think a lot of people, and you know, this, you love buying deals that are from properties that are mismanaged. Yeah. I mean, there's, it, it could be a terrible onsite to, it just doesn't look good or bad tenants or whatever it is, is I know some of the things you mentioned here is, you know, mismanagement can be you losing money. So yeah. I was going to ask you, um, are you self-managing? Do you have third party management? Yeah. Yes. And, and yes. And I also have a partnership in, in property management too. Right. So okay. I've got partners who are uh, partners in a property who do the management piece of it. Right. So it depends on yeah. where we are. So if I've got some of my properties are like three hours away and I, I mean, we're, our management team isn't going to take care of that. So we all, we, ha- I have a partner who does a lot of the management there. Then I have, properties that are maybe like an hour away we have a third party management uh, uh company that works on those and then we have properties within about 45 minutes of where where i live we have a local uh in on our, our local property management my own team in-house that will take care of those so it just depends on what the area is so i've got experience with all three of them and um you know and really it's about uh you know talking to and communication and having uh, proper meetings with, with all of your team members and making sure everybody's on the same, same page. But I mean, do you have like a, a specific question about the, like, yeah, I was going to ask you what, what have you found 
for you, because obviously you know that management's very important. That's how you can pick up extra cash flow, right? That's how you can save money here, which what if you use a dollar saved in multifamily is really, it is a dollar earned if you can save it. Um, and if you go sell your property, it's being run properly in the management, it looks that much better to the next buyer if you're selling. What have you learned you know, over your career in investing, which is some of the most important tips when it comes to property management? Well, I mean, on the property management side, I mean, there's a ton. I mean, I've written a book. I've written two books. on. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, like when I'm looking at buildings, I'm actually tr- like looking at what the rent bump is from when, where I'm buying it at, at its mismanaged state to where it will be. And then I consider the cap rate of the property. So I'm looking like some of the, the and you, you got to remember the laws in Ontario, the landlord tenant board laws are tougher than California laws. So wow. I've got, so I've got like, I've got my work cut out uh, for me, right? It can be quite a challenge. Um, you know, going through an eviction process in Ontario today can take up to a year, right? And even it, it's, it's craziness. But, um, you know, but I, I work different strategies depending on what that is. And we we'll talk to our team about how we're going to handle each one of those individually as it comes up. But, um, you know, I'm looking for that spread in rent from where it is now to where it will be at market rent. And uh, those people who are getting evicted, once they get evicted, that, um, you know, or, you know, natural turnover, which happens as well, and, you know, repositioning assets, I'm going to get that value increase, right? So let's say we have a $400, uh, $400 rent bump multiplied by 12 divided by the cap rate. That's my the value increase that I'm going to get on that building. Sometimes I'm getting with one tenant turnover, $175,000 in value increase on wow. a building, right? Because because of the market, we don't have a lot like when you think of the number of buildings we actually have in Ontario, it's not very much compared to the size of the United States and all the buildings you have, right? Probably less than the size of buildings that you have in California, right? In all wow. of Canada, right? <clears throat> wow. So, so I mean, you have um, the the value of the existing stock is going up and up because the cost to um, to build and like whatever's there is, you know, it, it's it's already built right so it's hard to replace that stock so i'm really looking at the 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 difference and then uh taking our management team to be able to move and reposition that asset right and um you know could i do this anywhere yeah i could i could take my model and i can put it down in florida or i could take it wherever right um you know it's really just working with people and figuring out what the laws are and and and, and uh, making sure to work within them. I, I don't do anything outside of the law like that. It's not my style, but there are lots of ways to, to be able to, to push things along. And you just got to figure out what works in your area, property management wise, to make that work, to, to reposition the asset. And what kind of, um, just because you're up in Canada, just curious, what kind of debt do you guys do on buildings up there? You know, I'd be, I was just curious about asking about that because I have, you know, I have some idea, but it's like down here, you know, is it down here? I you see we're in California, which a lot of people don't know. California is pretty fascinating. I think is California as a whole is probably one of the best states with the best banks and the best lenders. And a lot of people here that we do financing for, we don't even do Fannie or Freddie loans because there's, there's probably 15, at least 15 competitive banks that have great terms, very aggressive. 
a lot less strict prepays, you know, kind of all the overlays and stuff. So people are like, they did the Fannie Freddie game and they're like, well, I'm locked in the yield maintenance prepay and all this. So they've converted. And I know when you kind of go out of California, you know, it's the Fannie Freddie and stuff like that. So do you have that kind of similar debt up there? Or? It's very, I'm, I'm very familiar with both type of uh, both countries and the debt. And uh, so I can kind of talk fluently between the two. Cool. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, so what we have, like, so I'll give you an example in a apartment building we just did. It was a 25-year amortization, 75% LTV, okay? But you, you got to understand that we don't have, like, 30-year terms like you do in the, the U.S. Our terms max are, like, five years, right? Wow. Um, and so, and I only did a one-year term on this building because I still plan to reposition it, but my rate is 1.99%. Wow. Yep. So do, do, do they do interest only or is it principal and interest? That, that was well, the principal interest on that. I mean, there's not much interest, right? So you're, you're mostly yeah. paying down. principal. That's crazy. 1.99. Yes, sir. And that so was, how, uh, is that bank institutional or bank? That was, that's just a regular <sighs> bank. I'm, I'm not even getting what our equivalent to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would be a CMHC mortgage in the apartment building space. And an insured mortgage would probably be less than that. So, um, yeah, I'm telling you, it's, it's different. But, you know, there's, I, I got to say some of the, you got a lot of benefits in the US, like because of the way that um, your like you get a term for 30 years and you're locking into a rate like that it's still really awesome that you're able to do that you also can you have like depreciation like way better than what yeah we do. and you also have a 1031 exchange which we don't have right we you probably won't for long but uh you, you don't you know we don't have that right so we've always had to take capital gains when we transact on it an asset, even when we're moving from one asset to another. So, um, you know, we, we just pay the tax and move on. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are, that are different and, uh, but you know, the loan to value, like, for example, if I did a CMHC mortgage, it's possible I could go 80, 85% loan to value as well, depending on what the cap rate is on the asset, which is wow. equivalent to your Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So it is beneficial to have up here on the, on different assets. And do those loans have kind of crazy prepays? Um, it depends on what you, what term you sign up for, right? So you can sign up for a, a shorter term um, or you can sign up for a longer term, right? It just depends on what you lock yourself into. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, like in the States, I noticed that people are very like concerned about the interest rate var variability and they probably wouldn't last very long with five-year terms because <laughs> it'd drive them nuts. Right. But I'm uh, like, I'm used to it. Right. And interest rate variability is just built into our underwriting model. So, um, but um, you know, it's just, it's just, just part of the process. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, I mean, I don't know for sure, but we're probably one of the few countries that have the 30 year fixed and the 20 years. And then you go to European countries or Canada, they're like, what's with all these 30 year? And when you look at statistically, the average person probably stays in a mortgage. Well, maybe COVID's changed a little bit, but it was five, seven years. Somebody moves, refinances it. So you're getting a 30 year. You're like, you should just got the arm and saved half a point on the rate. But we're so groomed in the U.S., fix, fix. And then you go to Europe and they're like arms like, that's crazy. I'm like, well, 
it's crazy to them that you have 30 a year and it's normal to, you know, so it's, it's just kind of how it is. It's funny. Yeah. And in residential financing, it's even more different. So we won't even go there like that. That's commercial financing. I've been talking about residential is totally, it's even more different. So, but um, again, you, you also have like a lot more lending choices, right? We don't have as many lending choices. So there's a uh, that, that competition also breeds for, for um, more unique products that you can have with individual lenders where we just don't have that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah. Um, what is your take, um, you know, high level view of what's going on? You know, it, it's hard to say cause there's so many things going on, but we are talking about it. I think I'm the type of person I just get up and I kind of live in my own world and you just keep moving the needle and do what you got to do and not, I can't really focus on political or this or that. It's like, you got to just do your, you know, focus on your job and building your portfolio. Um, but obviously we live in the real estate world and um, I would say everybody I've listened to, I've talked to, um, they're very bullish on apartments because of a lot of reasons we talked about, because I think now all the information on the space, especially in the States, the tax benefits from, you know, depreciation, I think just what you can do, the leverage and stuff, and then obviously cash flow, and then obviously appreciation. But what is, when you look at everything like as kind of, what globally or Canada or US, what do you kind of see happening? And then what do you think that would be something that is going to maybe rock the boat to where maybe prices aren't going up as much, or maybe there's a shift in multifamily art. Do you just think like there's so much money going into this that it's kind of like people are looking for, you can't make money in the bank anymore. You got to put it somewhere and stock market is not for everybody, but you know, funds, Blackstone, you know, insurance funds, they got to put money to work. That's why they buy these bills. What is your overall take? I know I'm blabbing, but kind of putting it all out there. Well, I say cash is trash. And this is like, like right up my alley. I love talking macro stuff and, and what, right. what's happening in general. But like, I've always believed that, you know, you own, own real assets, whether it is real estate, precious metals, um, you know, uh, businesses, um, you know, or intellectual assets like a podcast or, um, you know, books that you can sell, songs, like uh, whatever, whatever it is. And there's so many different opportunities to take advantage of that. I just don't want to be in cash. That's what I don't want to be. When you have trillions of dollars floating into into the economy, whether you believe it's going to lead to, uh, you know, hyperinflation or I, I just think that, when you have a lot of broken supply chains and no real like view of being able to fix that anytime soon, you're gonna have inflation. And the, the problem occurs when people are scared and they feel they're not gonna get their stuff, right? Like when well, all of a sudden you go to the store and there's no flour, the next time you go into the store, you're going to buy all the flour that's there. Right? <laughs> exactly. so, yeah. And so what happens to flour? Flour becomes really expensive, right? So, and, and that's, and that's what happens. So, you know, we got to be careful. And uh, I just believe that, you know, you've got to own real assets because in the end, whatever, any change that happens, you know, you're, you're able to have those assets and be able to exchange them for whatever it is that you want. 
right? Um, I think that you should always um, have that. I'm not a real believer in the stock market. I just, I have no control over it. I have, I'm not, I can't tell Apple that I don't like the color of the iPod or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, that's it, right? So I just think uh, whatever whatever you, you do, you should have control over it. And I know that I can, um, if I have a, like a, a, an apartment building, um, oh man, I think I just dated myself by saying iPod. Wow. Ah. So oh, oh man. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. But if you like, you know, with an apartment building, I know that I can make changes to it, right? Like I can change the the property management. I can improve the common areas. I can, like, I, I know what I can do to improve it and change it and, and make it more valuable. Whereas, you know, I, I can't do that for a company that I buy a stock for. Like I have no control over what Tesla does or what Elon says in this next tweet, right? Like I have no, I, I can't, but I know that I can, you know, buy, um, you know, buy different assets. I know that I can create another book. I know that I can put that book out there and make that available to other people and create uh, an asset. And what's cool, like for me and like in these books is that my kids are going to be able to see these. Like, That's I'm, awesome. You know, like, uh, like, and I got pictures of my kids reading. I mean, they were young and, you know, I don't think they're really reading the books, but, you know, I had pictures of that. and that, that just, that just, you know, if, if you like, you know, all this that you have, the only thing they re really want to do is make sure that you pass that along to your, your family and make sure that they, you know, they see the success that comes from that and inspires them to do something you know, with, with whatever they decide to do. I, I don't care whether they invest in real estate or not. Like, I just want them to be the best that they can be and be successful at it. That's all. Right. And if they want to be a like base, get into baseball, like just, you know, just focus on baseball. If you want to get into like, like writing, then just be the best you can be. Right. So that's all. That's awesome. Um, where is, uh, Let's talk a little bit about just to go over what books have you written? Um, where can people find you? Where can they find your books? Uh, well, the easiest way is to get, get on Amazon and put my name in Quentin D'Souza. I've, I've written the ultimate wealth strategy, which is on the, the Burr strategy. I've written property management toolbox, filling vacancy toolbox, but that's really geared towards um, the Ontario market. Uh, I've written the Action Taker Real Estate Investing Journal, which is really like I used to to coach people. And I, I don't do coaching anymore, but I put all my templates and all the materials in that book, you know, uh, net worth templates, quarterly plans, weekly plans, how to do it as a real estate investor. And so that's available for people to pick up on Amazon or they can go to um, the action taker real estate planner.com and they can grab the chapter one of the book and you know they can try that they can get me um you know that, that's the best way to get the books or if you want to get in touch with me too like uh you can get me on instagram or twitter at uh, qman rei or uh, i'm i'm just starting a podcast it's called the uh, get real wealthy.com so I'll have, That's to have awesome. you, I'll have to have you on when I, after I've got like a little bit further along. <laughs> sure. No, that'd be fun. Yeah. It's exciting. Starting up, we were talking before starting a podcast is cool. Um, one of the things that I, from COVID, I know a lot of people this, what was great for me is I love interviews. I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of different things. Um, 
but people like you're talking about, you probably wouldn't be doing as much podcasts or maybe doing different things because you'd be, we'd be out there networking more. And, um, and now it's not really, it's not really happening because things are still kind of not there yet. And who knows when they really, really will be, they'll probably one day. But what was cool is a lot of people that never went on a podcast because they're flying around or too busy that they're sitting at home and somebody said, Hey, would you jump on a zoom? Sure. I'm, I'm not doing anything else. And then that turned into one. And so I've gotten to see a lot of cool interviews of people that I've seen on CNBC or something for five minutes. I'm like, well, that doesn't really help me see them in an hour interview. So I think uh, starting a podcast is cool and you get to meet people and it's fun to learn, you know? Um, so in closing, we always ask everybody the same question. And I know you're kind of talking about a little bit. Um, what is your definition of generational wealth? Oh, yeah. And if that's a that's something that I really focused on a lot this year, too. Um, you know, it, it, it has a lot to do with mindset and passing along the right mindset to my kids and, and giving them experiences. I think that's wealth. Um, giving them experiences that they would never have normally had that I know that I didn't have. I was a, a new Canadian. Like we, we came to Canada. I was a new immigrant, right? Like we didn't come with anything. So wow. you know, I, I want them to have a, a different experience than me, but still have the, the work ethic that I have. Um, but uh, I, you know, that's part of the wealth component to it. It's not just, you know, giving them, you know, like, like financial, uh, like a couple million dollars. Like what's, what's, what's that going to do for somebody if you haven't learned anything from it? Right. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, passing along uh, the skills and information as well as, you know, the experiences that can help them to be a, a better person uh, and in whatever, you know, part, wherever they decide to go in life. That's, that's what I think well, the intergenerational wealth piece is. You know, I really, you know, I love my kids. I love my wife. I want to make sure that they're well taken care of if I'm not there. And that's what I've, I've, you know, worked on in the background too, right? Looked at um, secondary wills, um, you know, uh, whole life insurance, you know, look at a whole bunch of different components. I've got a team from across Canada that I use to help me to, to build it. Like I really worked hard to make sure that they're, they're well taken care of. Uh, when I'm gone from the finance piece. So that's not something I'm worried about. I really worried about more on, did they learn what I think that they, they need to learn to, to be able to continue to, 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 to be successful in life. That's, that's what I, you know, that's that wealth component to me. I love that. Um, you know, Quentin, thanks for coming on. Uh, I think first of all, congratulations on all your success. It's awesome. I, I really love when I get to meet people, especially on the podcast and in person that, you know, had a job and I, cause I never really had a job. I was went into being self-employed, so I don't have that, but had a job for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, had the courage, had the sight and that work ethic to get out of it, you know, fire their job, fire their boss and build something on the side. And obviously the cool thing is, is, not only have you built something that you know pays you cash flow, gives you all those freedoms we talked about, but you can pass on to your kids. But then you use your education to now help people, whether it's through books. I know you're starting your podcast, and as the world probably goes back to normal, I'm sure you'll be doing a lot of meetups, and you know, people ask you a gazillion questions. And I know that's one of the things we talked about. As passion is is giving back and helping people, and that's one thing we have to do, right? And 
one of the things like you said, much what caught my takeaways were one was is use your gift, whatever you have. I think, and that's cool is you've kind of made this and you're going to continue to grow in your business, but you're using your gift to give back to people and um, hopefully uh, encourage people, influence people and change people to go out and build wealth and not rely on a job, an employer, a pension, a 401k. There's other options and you can do it yourself and you just got to have the mindset and the work ethic. And just like you said, just get started as we say, get in the game. Get in the game. That's awesome. Yep. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. It was a pleasure uh, meeting you and spending this time with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.